Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's the music and we are back underway. Episode 98. I remember some... What would it be now? 40 years ago, Notch. I like Brian Lawton. He's a friend of the show. I guess they put a little bit too much pressure on him and called him Notch. And he wore 98, a step below Gretzky. It didn't turn out that way, Craig. It didn't turn out that way for the first overall pick in 83. When you think about you're drafting players that have been the best at their level, you know, coming out of Europe, high school hockey, junior hockey, college hockey, or whatnot. And, you know, and one of the things, and I say this all the time, Steve, you know, in every, in just about every other profession, like think about law school. Okay. You have a daughter that's in law school. Okay. So she's going through law school. She's getting educated. Obviously she's very talented, very gifted, very intelligent. She's going to go to a law firm and she's going to article, you know, and she's going to get some experience. So the law firm is now going to be able to test her. Right. They're going to give her some files and she's going to be able to they're going to be able to say, hey, look, you can handle this They go. Oh, geez. You know, this is pretty good. We need to hire her. So they'll make her an offer. Right. And then they hire her in every professional sport, hockey, baseball, basketball and football. You're looking at all these talented people. You never get to test them in the at the level that you're trying to project them to. Ever. There's the odd occasion where you you see, you know, like during the lockout of 2012, 2013, I got to watch Alexander Barkov go head to head versus Miko Koivu in, in, in Finland. So it was a, give you a little sample size. But can you imagine a law firm just saying, oh, well, they look like they have talent and uh, we're just going to hire them without even testing them. They would never do that. But in sports, and and yet everybody wants to rip the scouts and rip the teams and everything, and they all know better. And the people do the most criticizing are the ones that have never done it. They've never, ever had to go and do it. So, you know, Brian Lott was a a terrific player coming out of Mount St. Charles Academy in Rhode Island. You know, and he's not the only one. I watched Alexander Dagg. I'll tell you a quick story. Alexander Dagg. He was phenomenal. He was a he was a heck of a player. I was with John Ferguson Sr., who at that time was with the Ottawa Senators working. We were in a game. I forget where we were at. It was a Quebec League game. And, you know, we, we, we had gone together. We're sitting there and we're watching the game. And 
Dig had about, I don't know, four or five points. Somebody had slashed them and they were going after him and everything. Well, late in the game, I, they were up like 7-4 or something. Dig just ran this guy that was all over him all night long. And Fergie Sr. looked at me and he goes, oh boy. He goes, he not only has the skill, he's got that fire burning deep inside of him. The Ottawa Senators dropped him first overall. I can tell you this. I watched Alexander Dig play. I never thought that he wasn't going to make it and make it big. And you know what? There's lots of factors that come into play. Next level expe expectations. Remember, he signed that big contract with the huge signing bonus, you know, and, you know, Pierre Lacroix was his agent. And I'm going to talk about Pierre Lacroix just quickly after I get through this story. And, you know, he was on a bad Ottawa Senators team. You know, Alexander Dagan, you know, he so-called bust. You know, these players were the best at their level. And let me just say this. Pierre Lacroix was a great agent. Pierre Lacroix was a great GM. Pierre Lacroix belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm with you on that. Uh, he's so good to us uh, over the years as well. Always had time. And he was multi-talented, as you mentioned, in the different routes that he took. Um, and the anniversary of a pretty big trade is coming up. I guess we'll save that for next week because uh, I think we're going to land on the anniversary and uh, – I played my last game. Be careful when you jeer your own players, folks. Sometimes it provides a curse uh, that doesn't go away. I liken it to someone who swims in their bathtub. Then they swim <laughs> in their backyard pool. And then they go to the ocean for the first time. Different waves, different sand, different elements. Some deal with it well and some don't. But you can't say 98 without thinking of 90. I, I do. Every time I think, and I don't know why Victor Mete is wearing 98. I wouldn't let him, but you say, worry about other things in life. Okay, I got something else to worry about. Coach's challenge. It feels, right, I'm talking in the crease, that this year there's a stricter standard that they didn't tell us about. Now, is that just anecdotal? Does Zach Hyman have a case from Wednesday night? We've had some battles kind of in and out of the crease that have been disallowed. It feels now, the simple equation is this. Did anything you did as the attacking player affect the goalie's ability to move freely in the crease? And if the answer is yes, pushing Seth Jones in, then it's no goal. It just feels it's, they're making it like law. They're making it as, well, as black and white as it's possible. Do you feel that way, Craig? I do. Yeah, you know what I do? And uh, here, here's how I feel, though. I like it, though. I like it a lot. I, I think it's really important. And, and remember, you're trying to adjust. The goaltenders want more of a clearer standard of what goaltender interference is. They want they want to know, okay, listen, Zach Hyman, forget about the goal being disallowed. He's lucky he didn't get a two-minute penalty for interference or cross-checking. Right? That that the, like to me, like that was clear-cut goaltender interference. Luke Richardson knew it, everybody knew it, right? So, but I do like that. You know, we go back some games. You know, you think about uh the New Jersey Toronto game when Zach Bad when when Nathan Bastian gets his skate on Matt Murray. You've impeded them. I don't care. You know, it's like soft calls. Oh, it's soft. Uh, you know what? Oh, I. So let's give a one-minute penalty for the soft tripping call, right? And we'll give three minutes for the hard for the hard slashing call. Like, give me a break. It's two minutes. It's not soft. You know what? If you impede the goaltender's ability to move, and and I think that they're, I think that hockey ops and everybody working together is it is really understanding. And the players, you know, you can't do it. Blake Wheeler. In, in in the game against Colorado, bottom line, you you impeded his thing. Like, doesn't matter. Like, can't do it. Not going to happen. I I I think the standard is becoming clear, which I think is great.
I'm so glad you brought Blake Wheeler because that was the one before that people said, well, hang on. Well, was there an action by the attacking player that didn't allow the goalie to move freely in his crease? And that is actually not just rule book. I think it's actually more clear than it's ever been before. And don't say, well, last year or in another game, we're talking about in the moment and trying to be as consistent as possible, knowing that we'll never have consistency. Craig, you're not making every single call when they go to the video booth to look at goalie interference. And even if that is the case and you've got your files and your computer, there might be one moment where this shade of Baskin Robbins vanilla is different from that shade. No two plays are ever exactly the same. I think what I've noticed, and you talked about, Wheeler took a path of his own less, less resistance, which was between the goal. He went in the middle of the sandwich and then there was, you know, a problem. Had he gone the other way, it's different. And if he goes in the middle and there's contact and then there's enough time for the goalie to reset and he does the Gary Roberts and Gary was great at, it. he actually, I'm out, I'm out here. And Gary was good at avoiding. And I thought he did the tightrope better than anyone. People should go watch what he did. He actually was very good at it. I think these other guys go in and you know what they say? Ah, whatever happens, happens. Okay. Well, whatever happens, happens means we're going to review it. And then it's no goal. What they do want is they want to win a 51-49 call. That's what they're trying to do. And guess what? Right now, I think the last five, six, seven, eight of these, they're precedent setting. I think coaches, managers, and players should look at this and go, I see what they're doing right now. I think it's actually never been better. And you know what people say when we say that? We're wacko. We we're, we're, we don't know what we're talking about. Just like that offside call at Montreal, your buddy Dave Poulin, you know what he said? I can't believe it. I wanted to call Dave and say, I can't believe that you can't believe that it's inconclusive. Like to me, I can't tell. But what was he calling the ice? It was onside goal. Okay. It's inconclusive. He says, I can't believe it. Does he have his Bruder film of something else that we're not seeing? So I can't believe when I watch games, sometimes what I'm hearing. And I'm not singling out Dave. I just thought, I'm not sure if that puck's in or not. They can't, they can't decide later. We're not sure. We're going to guess. No, the goal was a goal. Great. You can't reverse anything unless you've got, you know, proof. I don't think there was, I, you tell me if I'm wrong on that. I, I didn't see any proof. Well, that I, I, you just used the word conclusive evidence, right? And if something is inconclusive, and 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 you know what, there's times when you you think about goal reviews, right? And we think, oh, was that in? And we could say, geez, you, you know, that was really close. But if if the call on the ice is no goal, and they can't conclusively say that it was a goal, well, then the call on the ice lives, right? And there's always going to be different opinions. You, you you know, you just you you just read part of the rule on goaltender interference impeding the goaltender. That that's the other thing that that I find. Like you know, the NHL has this fantastic rule book. It's written out. It's it's very clear. It's accessible to everybody. They have a video rule book that gives you examples, right? And what amazes me is how many people don't go and just look at what the rule is. I, I, you know, last week in uh, in Dallas, Winnipeg was playing Dallas. There was a there was a controversial play where Dallas tied up the game late, and it, it, oh, yeah, the, the mask is off. Okay, yeah, we know the mask was off on Connor Hallibuck, but let's look through the rule, <laughs> like. 
Number one, was there an immediate or impending scoring chance? Did your team have possession of the puck? Blah, blah, blah. Who, who initiated the contact? Like, and one of the things I said, like, was this, you know, who caused the whole problem? Josh Morrissey caused the whole problem. So, you know, that comes into play, you know, so should the Dallas Stars pay a price now for having a goal, a scoring chance taken away from them in the last minute because of the actions of another team? No, I think to your point about precedent, that also lets players know, I better be careful here. I better be careful here because even though I, I'm doing this, I'm not going to be let off the hook. Players are so smart. Steve, I, I remember being in a manager's meeting and you know, it was a discussion about the offside and the tag up offside rule. And then they were talking about icing. And the whole idea was, how are we going to speed up the game? Continuous play, right? So the the object, well, let's not call icing on, on, on an attempted pass. Well, sounds like a great idea, right? Well, you know, the players that can make it look the best on an attempted pass are the most skilled players. Chris Pronger can miss your stick by three inches to to get to to make sure he gets out of trouble on an attempted pass, right? And so I think that what ends up happening, right, is, is that you got to be careful of the concept because the players are they're brilliant, they're smart, they know how to take advantage. We talk about the goaltender interference. We talk about that play with Josh Morrissey and Connor Hellebuck. The standard gets a little bit clearer, a lot more clear, and I and I love that. I think that that is wonderful, but. I can only say this, read the rule book, watch the video rule book. It's there. Immediate or impending doesn't say, you know, oh, it's two passes or it's four seconds. Impending, read the definition of impending. Like there it was. The right call was made in that game. I know Winnipeg Jets fans don't like it. Bottom line is the, the, we're getting, I think, to a better, un yep, that's goaltender interference, to your point. That's a good thing. Yeah, and it goes back to, I mean, you've been in the meetings. I have, I think, brilliantly written and performed two-minute video essays on different things that have happened. And I clearly remember in, it's in the 2000s, either right before or after the lockout, Keith Kachuk knocks his own net off accidentally accidentally as he knocks it off the other team let's just say san jose joe thornton scores the goal well the rule was written that if the net is accidentally knocked off by the defending team as a puck enters the net or a team has a scoring chance it's no goal and i remember just me and a lot of other people getting on their high horse and saying that's that's got to change. I we we got to change accidentally to accidentally or on purpose, right? Sixty three point six, sixty three point seven, and the managers get together like you and you might have said, you know, I'm going to talk to Ken Hall and blah, 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 and you change the rule, and now no defending team can benefit by any actions which knocks their own net off, and then people say, well, let's use logic, give them a penalty, give them a penalty. That goal would tie the game three three with eight seconds left. A penalty's not going to do it. We'll give them a penalty shot. Why would I give them a penalty shot when they only they already scored the goal? <laughs> and then you get into arguments with people. People would say, I don't like the rule where if you hit the crossbar, faceoff stays inside. Why? You're punishing guy for hitting a crossbar? Yep. No, the league changed that year. Everyone should grab the NHL rule book, Hockey Canada, USA. I know people in Hockey Canada that have not changed any of the rules. And you know who's following suit? The IIHF. 
who used to think they were holier than now. And we're going to, no, they're basically saying, Stephen Walkham, give me your rule book. Give me your rule book. And right now the rule book's never been better. The calls have never been better. Craig, goalie knocks his own net off on a breakaway. Someone scores. Let's say it was me in beer league. No goal. Why? The net's off. Yeah. Well, it was an accident. The goalie knocked it off. So they're benefiting from the goalie knocking his own net off. Uh, 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 minor hockey, everything else. There's so many little tweaks in there that are so good that you need to do, especially for kids. If Craig, you commit an action and get five in a game, the ref says, coach someone in the box. Nope. What are you talking about? I'm not putting anybody in the box. Oh, in the NHL, you can do that. If the penalty runs out and there's nobody in the box, you play shorthanded. Happened to Mike Babcock. But in minor hockey, it's perfect because guess what you can do? Not punish a kid for five minutes. You think the coach is putting his own kid in the box, Craig, for five? No, the rule's there. And actually, if I remember correctly, you're allowed to substitute the player that you eventually put in the box, which is also brilliant. So Susie goes in, Johnny goes in, Freddie goes in. So no one has to stay in there the whole time. Craig, Carlton Fisk, we talked about it episode 91. Think does it make sense? And the NHL, by thinking, it doesn't make sense what Keith Kachuk did. We're changing the rule. It doesn't make sense that you can impede the goalie and allow a goal to count. And I think where we are, I think people just don't know that they don't know. So they say, oh, they're trying to get the Habs or trying to get the Flames or whatever. No, you don't. Now, if you want to change the helmet mask coming off rule, if you want to change that rule or change it, I'm open to any discussion. Best idea wins. Right now, we have the best ideas. I have USA Hockey and Hockey Canada, Craig. Honestly, I've been at the rink and they say that's that's no goal. They're gonna they're gonna punish someone for doing a spinorama in minor hockey. If the NHL wants to do something, it's one thing. But it's one thing to sit there and say, for the kids, we're gonna have this rule. I don't know. I just think people aren't thinking. Well, this is the way we've always done it, Craig. This is the way my grandfather did it back in Sudbury and night, you know, and I think sometimes. These things that don't work now should be changed. That's what I say. I love the new NHL rule book. I really do. I, I do too, Steve. And I think you you make a great point about, you know, the, the, how, how you look at something. Go, wait a sec, do we need to rewrite this? Do we need to change it? And, that, and that's what a lot of the meetings are about. Okay, let's let's examine some of these things. You know, my, 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 my pet peeve, and, and it's, it still remains a pet peeve, and and I've heard the arguments and everything. It just it's nonsensible to me. It's there's two. I should, I have two pet peeves. One is mine. One is Bob Gainey's. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> full disclosure. So mine is why are you allowed to make a hand pass in the defensive zone? Sorry, I don't care if you break your stick. I don't care if you lose your stick. Like you're not allowed to make a hand pass anywhere else. Why is the defensive team allowed to make a hand pass? To me, it's nonsensible. Just eliminate the hand pass. That way, you know what? You break your stick too bad. You don't get to make a play with your with your glove. You can't do it anywhere else. Bob Gainey's one is you're not allowed to ice the puck, you know, at any time. You pay a you 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 pay a price for that. But now you go and break the rules, and now you're allowed to ice the puck when you're penalty killing. And like and like those are the two that just like why why would you go and break the rules? You're allowed to go and ice the puck. You're not you're not allowed to ice the puck when you don't break the rules. Anyway, those are my two pet peeves. They still remain on the books. I don't know if they'll ever come off the books, but I I, I think it's important to have pet peeves. <laughs> I think it is too. It's like uh, you, we won't put you in jail, but you're on parole. 
So <laughs> you better be in it by five. And if the original icing rule started, you can't ice the puck ever. We would have grown up for 106 years of NHL hockey, mm-hmm. always knowing that you couldn't ice the puck when you're shorthanded. But because of that tweak in there, yeah. we've we've allowed it. We've allowed it. So, uh, and I'll tell you this much, you can bet on this. I don't think the two pet peeves that you're complaining about are going to change, unfortunately, Craig. Yeah, I am. Anytime soon. Time now for KB on Ice, an inside look at the NHL, brought to you by our friends at Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is Canada's sportsbook, 19+. plus. Please play responsibly, Mr. Button. You know, El Nino comes in from the Pacific uh, into, into Western United States and Canada, right? And wreaks havoc. That's what the Seattle Kraken are doing now. Washington is going into a storm in Seattle. I got the Kraken at home to beat the Caps. Friday, sorry, Ottawa Senators. Rangers are going to win again. Back-to-back games, Rangers. And Saturday, down in the Sunshine State. Sunshine State, Toronto, Tampa Bay. Toronto playing really well. I'm taking the Lightning at home against the Leafs. That's a great matchup, and that's going to be a great game. I got the Preds on John Hines' return to New Jersey to upset the Devils. Jets steamroll whether Lionel's playing or not Friday, <laughs> and the Oilers steamroll Montreal on Saturday. The worst is over for Edmonton. They're moving on up, Wheezy. Moving on up. Sports Interaction is Canada's sportsbook. Log on to SIA.com forward slash cool button pod and sign up and deposit today. Canada Sportsbook is Sports Interaction 19 plus. Please gamble responsibly. Now, was that uh, Matthew Kachuk loving? Those were soft boos. I mean, then the standing ovation. Martin Buran, God love him. He said, Steve, it'll be worse for Kachuk in Calgary than it was for Eichel in Buffalo. And I said, are you sure, Marty? And he goes, no. that's my how I feel. I said, maybe it'll be worse for Johnny Goodrow. But I, I what I saw there was kind of a, you know, come on, you know, your buddy, you punch him in the shoulder. You're just wrestling a little. I, really, I think Matthew should be very happy with how the fans treated him on his return. And for Calgary, the night couldn't have gone any better, Craig. Couldn't have gone any better. You're right, though. But, like, Matthew Kachuk was a terrific player for the Calgary Flames. And Johnny Goudreau was a terrific player. I think Johnny Goudreau will get the same treatment. I really do. I mean, what he did, they left. We rewind just a little bit in time. Wayne Gretzky wanted out of Edmonton. Did they boo him when he came back to Edmonton? No, nor should they have. For all the brilliance that Wayne Gretzky displayed, bottom line is, Wayne was looking at it and he said, hey, listen, you, you know, this is something that can benefit me. I got to look at I, what he did is, is he took a global perspective instead of a provincial perspective. And, you know, Wayne has always been wonderful in terms of uh, being a great ambassador for hockey. Right. Well, to, to, to be the for him to end up in L.A. was awesome. And obviously he had thought about it and people had put the idea into his head, but he left Edmonton. Right. Like, I mean, he said, I don't want I'm not going to play here anymore. That's what he said. I mean, Joe Newendike said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving Calgary. Doug Gilmore said, I'm leaving. These aren't Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Goudreau weren't the first players to leave Calgary. They're not going to be the last. That's where we're at today. Bottom line is, I think that going into it, I was talking to a few people that day that were going to the game, and I said, What do you think? I said, Cheer them. 
when the video tribute comes on, because he did a lot of great things for this franchise. And when he touches the puck during the game, bull. <laughs> but don't bull him during the video tribute, because he, you know what? That's what it's all about. But Jack Eichel was very different. There was a lot, a lot of friction between Jack Eichel and, and, and Buffalo. And I think that's a little bit different scenario. And certainly Marty, who's very close to the Buffalo Sabres, you know, you know, such a proud Buffalo Sabre too. I mean, he probably felt that he he was, you know, you, you know, challenged by Jack Eichel leaving. How dare Jack Eichel do that? I get it though. That's the motion is a big part of life and a big part of the game. I also brought up history, um, whether I'm right or wrong, because you know, Canada is regional. There's like six regions, right? And the biggest coming back or never having left, but you know, snubbing was Eric Lindros. And when he went back to Quebec, it was Eichel-like, um, and it was they were, they were angry. But I used the example of kind of Canada and the United States with the British background. You know, the Americans more the rebels and forget England, and we're going to form the 13 colonies and Boston Tea Party and Canada more United Empire loyalists. We're, it's like different. Marty said no. And I said, well, I, I believe that. And because Quebec's kind of different, they, they took it more personally that you don't want to be part of our culture. And they were more angrier at Eric than I think anyone in Calgary or Edmonton or Toronto's ever been. And it's like, there's no way what happened with Eichel and, or Travarez on the Island. I don't think whatever happened, let's just say, and it's not a snub. It's just, it's just anecdotal in English Canada. We're not like that. We're more, um, what are you doing? You know, there was a time when you would go to a game, people would wear a suit and tie, you know, who weren't in the corporate world. Honey, we have tickets. We're going to dress up. It's a night, and I'm putting on my best derby. It's just different whether it's right or wrong, and I, people can respectfully disagree with me. It's not as part of the history. We've lived this since, you know, we were born. You were born into hockey. I was born into the Summit Series, and when you go back and look at the history books, and it's not bad. I'm more kind of American, and be, I would be the rebel. I would be the one, Eric, here's your pacifier. Like, that would be more my kind of European hothead background. But the Canadian thing, and, you know, Marty disagreed, and I said, okay, but the American, you know, no, we're not justified. We're going to stand up for rights. Or, or And Canada, ah, that's okay. That's what I saw. Canada, the booze. Here's Kachuk, they're touching the puck. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's yeah. like saying, I'm mad at my girlfriend. Boo. Okay, you served enough pun. There were times Kachuk touched the puck and they didn't do it. Yeah. So, and then the cheering, like, they got up. That was a real standing ovation. The Jack thing is way different. The Eric thing is way different. I, look, I might be right or wrong. I'm just how I feel, Craig. I feel, and it made me, to my history teacher, Mr. Green, I was paying attention. <laughs> and Canadian history is not as exciting as American history. So I was paying attention in class. Well, and, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because Eric never played for Quebec. He just said, I don't want to play there. But like Sault Ste. Marie also said, I'm not going to play in Sault Ste. Marie. Listen, Sault Ste. Marie and Oshawa played in a playoff series and a final. It was it was a bloodbath. I'm telling you, it was a bloodbath because you know it was it was it was Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds versus Oshawa Generals, but it was also Sault Ste. Marie Community versus Eric Lindros. Like you, you were gonna and I, like I was there. I, I watched it. I watched it unfold, and it was it, it, it was vicious. In terms of, no, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about the 
what was hurled on, on, on Eric Lindros verbally and everything. I'll tell you a funny story, which I, I always laugh at. And it tells you uh, about competitors. Uh, in, in 1991, Bob Clark was our general manager in uh, Minnesota. And that was, we'd come off the Stanley Cup final. Uh, it was a nice little run. I call it the magical mystery tour because it was magical. It was a mystery how we got there. And uh, nobody should be surprised that Mario and the boys, uh, you know, won the cup. Anyway, Bob Clark was there. But that was the summer when uh, that the draft, when Lindros got drafted. And so Bob Clark was very disappointed. Oh, no, he got players should go where he's drafted. That's not right. That's not right. And I I, I argued against it. I said, hey, wait a second. Eric Lindros has an opportunity to decide where he's want to go. They're not, we're not taught, they're not shadow. And mo most players have to go where they're drafted. But Eric said, no, I'm not doing it. And I, I said, and we, we went back and forth. He goes, I just think that it's wrong. And fair enough that, you know, that, that's where Bob came from. Well, the next year, Bob Clark ends up back in Philadelphia. We're at the draft again. And I'm asked, and they're all in on the Eric Lindros thing. And I go, geez, Bob, I'm really interested to see that the Flyers are hard in on Eric Lindros. I thought he should just go to the team that's drafted. And Bob Clark with his with his patented, you know, I don't know how much time you spent around, but when he kind of gives he gives you this, Steve. Here's my look. He gives you this. <laughs> that means and you're right. That means he, you're he, right. he knew, but but he said, and he said, "Well, he's available. What are we supposed to do? Not try to go after him, <laughs> you know?" And it's 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 it, sometimes perspective comes on it too, right? Like you know where you're at. Like that was in the span of one one year between. Hey, listen, players should go to his draft. Oh no, we got to be in on him. Just depends sometimes on your perspective and where you're sitting. <laughs> yes, that's and that actually ties in nicely to, you know, history and what side of the 49th that you're on. And it also ties into a call, right? Sharks fans said, come on, it's inconclusive. Be quiet. Half fans are like, come on, what's going on? Same as Euler, Hawk, uh, Winnipeg, Dallas, whatever it is. That's why we need neutrality, um, which is, I think, something, again, that the Canadians are really good at neutrality. I, I think that's, all, uh, you know when we talk about what you're good at and what's very important is to have neutrality and especially at, you know, the rule book level and the NHL level as well, because at that point we have to sit there and look at something and say, I have to be like, didn't Don Koharski get picked by Victor Tikhanov to, you know, ref 87 Canada cup games. This is important. You know, about doing, if you're the best in the world, you should be able to do a game involving or not involving, you know, uh, the country of your birth. And I think that type of neutrality is respected by the players. And I think Chris Chelios had some good things to say about how some of those uh, tournaments were handled. So, but you were going to jump in there, Craig. Yeah. I just wanted to say something. You talk about Canada, the U S listen, you know, a week ago when that when I when I took the position that it was the right call for the Dallas Stars, Winnipeg Jets fans hated me. They weren't neutral; they hated me, right? Like you know, like you 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 take a position right on certain things, and you know, like and, and people go, ah, you you hate the Calgary Flames. You're just an Edmonton Oilers lover. Oh, you hate the Edmonton Oilers. Yay! And I, I've just taken the tack that uh, Ray Ferraro, uh, you know, my real good friend, says. No, no, you just understand. I hate all teams equally. I'm neutral. I hate them all equally. Don't tell I don't have any favorites, right? Because you can't win. You can't win. You know, last year I was doing a Leafs Flames broadcast and Nikita Zadorov hit uh uh Andre Kasha. It was a clean textbook hit. And okay, I, I said it. Oh, you would have thought that I was letting uh Nikita Zadorov with off with like the, the biggest crime ever committed in the history of mankind, the way I would the way I was talked about. But 
So I'm, I'm going to disagree with you about neutrality of Canadians. When it comes to hockey and their team, there is no neutrality. There is only the lens that they see through it and with their team. <laughs> yeah, and I followed all that, that you were going through it, and I was disappointed with all the fan bases. What I meant was at the elite official level. Oh, okay. Fair the Harsky, the yeah, Fraser, yeah. O'Halloran, and, and that. But I know what you're saying. Every other fan base, and with the World Cup going on, everyone's delusional. Everyone's a fanatic, <laughs> equally, equally warped and whacked. So, um, another topic. Another okay, just topic. let me finish. I want to, and I, I tell the fans all the time: don't stop being passionate. Don't stop. We need that passion. We need that emotion. Don't stop. I'm yeah, I'm not telling you any fan to stop being that way. I love it. But understand that like I hate your team. I hate every team in the league. <laughs> equally, equally. So it works yeah. perfectly. Uh the Arizona plan. Is it gonna work? Um, I had uh Javier Gutierrez on the show yesterday. Um, Bruce got him great stuff, and we had a conversation. Is this a fait accompli? For me, if it was a two-year junior rink, college rink plan, it would be easier to swallow because when we went to the Calgary Corral and the Cow Palace and all that, you know, if it's four years, that's one thing. If it's one is one thing, two is another. Craig, is this going to happen? And is it a bad look if it goes four years because this land is not clean land? They got a lot of work to do there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. So they, they, they have work to do and it, with any plan. You have to understand, you know, what, what the objective is in, in trying to complete it. You have to understand what the obstacles are. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to ask you a question. When you were young, you and Diane, you know, started off, right. You started saving, right. Did you have a nest egg when you were 25 to retire on? No. But you started right, and you had a plan, and you said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna save so much, and we're gonna invest here." And you did it, and now you get a little bit older, you know, and you and now you feel like you're reaching a point where, geez, you know, we're comfortable. We we can handle some some different uh, you know bumps on the road, so to speak, and we're gonna position ourselves nicely, help our kids with university, what whatever it may be. I think for the first time, the Arizona Coyotes under this ownership and this management group are aligned. It always seemed like they were chasing a, a, a mirage with their team. They thought they were better. We're going to sign guys and that'll get people in the building. The team was never any good. The building was never something that was settled in, in, in the Phoenix area. You know, Jerry Colangelo, who, who is, you know, the, 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 was the big wig in Phoenix with the Suns and everything, you know, there just never was a collaboration. And, you know, the team wasn't good. They didn't have a building and they built a new building and that was too far out. I think now they've come to a point, ownership, and obviously ownership is hired management, where, okay, we're going to have a building, we're going to have a, a, a an area that can be really good, and the team is trying to build so that those two can intersect. I haven't seen that in a lot of years in, in, in with this franchise. I think it's there now. So I'm ready to be fully patient. I'm ready to let it unfold and whatnot. And I hear people say it all the time, oh, they should just... Listen, you know what? The owner came in and said, I'd like to buy the Arizona Coyotes. And so, so what was Gary Bettman going to do? Say no? Like, you know, somebody's invested a lot of money into this franchise. And, and Gary has always shown unequivocally 
that he will exhaust every every possibility to keep a team viable in that particular city. And if it doesn't work, then he'll look elsewhere. You know, all you got to look at is Atlanta going to Winnipeg. So I like the plan. I don't know if it's going to be two years or three years, but I think they're aligned, Steve. And I think that's important if you're going to ultimately achieve the objective of success in that area, then you have to be aligned in your plan. I see that. And you could argue that the new group says, whatever happened before, that's got nothing to do with us. It's like if I take over the Buffalo Sabres, not my fault they missed the playoffs the last 10 years. I'm starting from scratch. When when Jerry Jones took over the Cowboys, they were great in the late 70s, early 80s. And he said, we're going to rebuild. And not my fault what happened before. So the new ownership group is saying, we're going to rebuild, literally. So we're going to tear down the club. We're going to get by, I know, in a perfect world, which isn't, it would be two years in the junior rank, 4,600 seats. We're going to get the land up. We're going to get the vote and everything else. Not my fault, but trust me, we're going to build. And from what I've seen, and I've never been to Arizona, heard great things. You're going to have a rink, a practice rink, condos, golf course, elite shopping, Rodeo. Like it's a place where if you just lived in this area, <laughs> it's almost like, hey, Maybe we should do the podcast from Arizona, Craig, or the show, because what they're doing is going to be really, really exciting for anyone who's either there or wants to buy a condo there or wants to retire there or wants to live. They're going to make it a destination, dot, 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 if the red referendum goes through, from, from what I understand. Like, it's this, this is what should have happened in 97. All the Jets have to move, right? It's not our fault what Shankro did. The Jets got to move. So we're going to Arizona. What are we going to do? Oh, geez, there's some land over here. We're going to, you know, and this thing would have been done in 2000 and they wouldn't have bounced around from a, a rink that the basketball owner wanted to screw hockey. And then they wouldn't have gotten to Glendale and people who know the area say, wherever you live, like where I live, it'd be like putting an NHL rink in Whitby. And people are like, I live in Mississauga. I'm not going to Whitby. It has to be. So they never should have built England. It's like even Ottawa. Get the Sens downtown. Where, Kramer? Downtown. You know, uh, the Patricia Clark song? Yeah, downtown. That's what it's about. So it's going to be important for Ottawa. It's going to be important. So I'm going to be patient. I'm not very patient, but I get, I see this plan. And if the referendum goes through, I see a road to stability and success. I do. And I know there's people, Canadian fans will probably say, they've had 26 years, blah, blah, blah. I get that part. But this is it, Jerry. This is the meal, and they better make it work. Yeah, and I think, that, like I said, like the plan, the time will tell. You know, we go back to 97. We go back to the Ottawa Senators and the land they had, right? And and what we can't, what we have to do is, is try to learn from, okay, what led to those decisions, right? And, you know, you talk about, you know, there wasn't a co there wasn't a collaboration to build a rink with the the basketball team and the hockey team. So you get a hockey team out in Glendale. They built the uh, football stadium right near there for the for for the Cardinals. And so and and same thing in Ottawa. You know you you got somebody coming in and buying the team. They go wait we got this land. This is a great place to build. I get it right. But as time as time passes and we we you you talked about history and it it's a great way to come back to history. What have we learned from history? What can we do? But we can't live in the past. And and that's what you're saying. And you, you just can't do that. And you know, I, I got a lot of friends that are in Arizona and a lot of hockey friends that, that, that live in Arizona, that love hockey, go to games, and, and they feel that this is a great spot to put it. You know what I keep hearing? 
It's the people from the other group running the building that are as opposed to this as anything. Because guess what? They have competition now for concerts and events. And, you know, what What are they doing to build up their area? So it's very interesting, you know, when you look at everything that, uh, uh, you know, the owner is trying to do here, you know, like the opposition might be coming from other people. Like, oh, do you want competition? Oh, we don't want competition. Oh, I see. I, I hear you. So keep everything in perspective here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that reminds me, I was in Windsor. So the guy that owns the Ambassador Bridge, which was privately funded, and he was smart enough and rich enough. Actually, his dad did it. So he won the gene pool. He was born into the right family. He's against the Gordy Howe Bridge. Because the Gordy Howe Bridge is going to put all the truck traffic the other way. So he's against it. So that be careful where you hear where the negativity is coming from. You know, the person that says, I don't think we should put the steakhouse down the street. Why? Well, I own Ponderosa. Oh, that's why. So I think it's important to kind of wash away all the white noise, which brings me to my final thought. I'll go first on a final thought. It's the same thing. And you've been here as a manager. I, as of this moment at 15, five and five at press time for the Leafs, I got to give Kyle Dubas credit because Eric Shalgren's played the most games. And when Samsonov and Murray have been in, They've been really good. Like, they've been really good. So I got to say, on the small sample size so far, Elias Samsonov and Matt Murray, now maybe not so much Samsonov, but Kyle Dubas was ridiculed for bringing in Matt Murray because his history of injuries was an issue. But he also has a history of winning. So what would prevail? Well, so far he's been hurt and he's been good. I don't know what it means for the future, but in this sample size, I got to do say at 15-5-5, and five, Kyle Dubas with Murray and Samsonov, it's working so far when many thought it wouldn't. That's my final thought. Well, well guess what? I'm jumping on your uh, final thought. I, I like that bandwagon. I want to ride it, you know? And so, you know, Maple Leafs just had their best November in their entire history. They just had their best November. Think about the injuries they went through. So, you know, what they went through. Listen, a lot of decisions, you know, regardless, it comes with risk. And, and you're trying to evaluate the, the reward versus the risk. That's the, that, that's what you do in everything in life, right? And so you have a, a salary cap situation. And Kyle looked at it and said, okay, I know Matt Murray. I think we can. You do the work. Then you go and you get Samson off, right? And then you say, hey, listen, I, I think the key thing here, and I said it at the time, I think that Matt Murray would benefit from being in a tandem. I thought that Samsonov at 25 years of age was a, that's when they just start coming to their own. There was enough evidence that Ilya Samsonov, Samsonov was a good goaltender, right? And, and and now he fell on their lap. And then you, you believe in Matt Murray. If it was just one or the other, I, I, I think there might've been more uh, skepticism, but I, I think Kyle did a really nice job. Was there risk? Absolutely was there risk. Was there some questions around it? Absolutely there was. But to your point, their goaltending is no longer a question mark. Not, and it goes three deep. You you got to put Chagrin in there. I keep talking about when they ran into the big problem, they went right into Carolina on a Sunday afternoon and Chagrin was great. And so he's given them stable goaltending. Listen, Kyle Dubas deserves, again, that's a manager's job. Everybody knows, we heard in the summer, Pierre Dorian won the summer. What a great job. I'm looking at the team and going, not a playoff team. Their defense isn't good enough. Isn't good enough. They're not a playoff team, Steve. You know what? Like, But everybody wants to look at it, and, and we do that. We we assess and everything. There was risk with what Kyle Dubas did, but he also knew there was potential reward. No more questions on the Toronto Maple Leafs goaltender.
people here at press time aren't surprised the Leafs are fourth overall in the NHL. I mean, they didn't know they were going to be banged up on the blue line. And, and maybe the goaltending issue they thought would be an issue. Um, whatever. I think what's more impressive as we sign off with the music coming in, they're the third best defensive team in the league. The third best. And they, they made a conscious effort to improve that, even though they've used three goalies. And one of them is Eric Schalgren. So uh, I think it's a neat, interesting tidbit as we go into the weekend and we wrap up episode 98, which is a notch below 99, right? And 99 is where we'll be, and maybe downtown, when we reconvene next week. For Craig Button, Bruce Bolton, I'm Steve Coolius. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 